0: guys back here with another episode of minor league news and brews and everybody knows what time it is here it's draft time uh the pirates drafting towards the top at the top for the second time but towards the top for i mean it's it's been a while go back to 2019 when we selected quinn priester was uh the last time we were outside of the top 10 Uh, bringing back a man who was on the regular feed over there at Bucks in the Basement for at least the past two, maybe the past three years, seeing his face first time in person, Joe Doyle at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B. He's over there at, uh, it's a new place. I I had to get it right. It's Future Star Series at F-S-S underscore plus. He's also got the Overslot MLB Draft podcast. Joe, how are you doing today, brother?
1: I am good, man. I, I You know, I, I didn't realize how busy and how many things I have going on until you <laughs> listed them off.
0: Yeah, you're like, okay, I got to record that podcast later. I got to write this article later. Um, College World Series, um, as we're recording today, wrapping a- up last night. Three uh, kind of like crazy, but just awesome games. I mean, for anybody that doesn't watch college baseball, very cool games. And especially with, you know, three of usually a lot of people's top three or sometimes four or five players um, in the spotlight for that. Uh, I'm going to delay what everybody knows we're going to talk about here just for a second and just kind of talk about having the one, one for the second time in, in a few years here. And, Some people are like, you know what, Um, especially in a draft class like this year, if if you're not picking 1-1, you could possibly have some players, you know, kind of drop to you. But I mean, everybody would say, you know, you want to be 1-1, but sometimes it feels like, do you want to be? Because it feels like there's like more judgment there. I don't know what it would be, but so do you want to pick 1-1, Joe?
1: I mean... The amount of money that the first overall pick affords you is is a huge bonus. The Pirates have more money than anybody by a by a wide wide margin. And I'd say this like the difference between picking one one or I know the lottery system kind of muddles it up a little bit, but the difference between between picking one and let's say eight. If if you're picking eight, you lost ninety games last year. That's a miserable you know, experience to sit through too. So you might as well get the first pick, get your get your choice on on what player you think you can best efficiently develop and go from there.
0: Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I go. I know that a lot of times the pressure comes and I mean you put out some stuff there that, that I saw retweeted and, and then I, you know, kind of followed along with a little bit, which is the it's it's always been at least in Pirates fans' minds, it's been Cruz, it's been Skeens. We've heard Langford mentioned a little bit, but there were some whispers that you tweeted out um, concerning maybe the Pirates, you know, going for, for Skeens at a little bit of an underslot and then, um, Cruz falling to the Nationals because the Nationals were possibly looking, you know, to pay that overslot, and then even more. I mean, as it happens with with the draft, uh, stuff comes out, and it's like, well, you know, Skeens doesn't want to sign with the Pirates. I kind of, if you could break down, like, you know, how this goes with like the top prospects, like they're having discussions prior to and leading up to the draft, correct? Yeah,
1: I would say they're probably not having discussions in terms of like Scott Boris or Paul Skeen's agent with teams yet. I think those will probably ramp up July second, July third, as we go into the holiday weekend. Um, but listen, if you are, if you're Dylan Cruz, if you're Paul Skeen's, uh, there there is probably not a worse year to be the talent that you are, you look back at like 2020, right? So Spencer Torkelson goes first overall. The gap between Spencer Torkelson and the next best player in that class was huge. So the Tigers really didn't have much of a choice than to pay the freight, that full slot for Torkelson. And you go the year before that, 2019 Adley Rutschman, so much better than the next best player on that board. The Orioles had no choice but to pay the freight full slot. You look at this 2023 class, and the Pirates can kind of leverage Skeens, Langford, Cruz, all against each other and say, listen, we're not paying whoever we draft full slot value. We're going to save some money, and if you don't like that, Uh, We'll take the other guy that's willing to take a little bit less money because the margin between those three players is small enough to where saving that bit of money and spending extra on those future picks uh, is just, in my opinion, and I think the Pirates would agree, it's just too valuable than to pay Dylan Cruz $9.8 million or whatever that would end up being.
0: Yeah, because I mean, the way that you broke it down is that, you know, Skeens would take a little bit under the slot value, saving the Pirates. I think it was somewhere around like $700,000. Uh, the Nationals would would pay up, and he wouldn't get uh, probably what you know what he's looking for, or what the overpay, or what the full slot would be from the Pirates. But it's it's maybe more than the Pirates. You know, I, I don't know if they're willing to offer, or if this is just all kind of like negotiating, you know, ploys at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, and I, I want to stress that it's not a it's not like a collusion type of a deal where the two teams are pining against each other. But if you are the pirates and you're afforded the chance to get a Paul Skeens for 9.1 million, for example, save 600,000. And then all of the sudden you can spend, you know, 2.6 million or 2.5 million on your second pick and get one of the top high school players in the class. That might make more sense than paying Dylan Cruz, 9.8 million, and landing a, a very solid high school player. But, you know, in order to build a 26-man roster, you need more than one guy. I mean, look, look what the Pirates have done with with Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds has been a stud for several years. It doesn't get you over the hump by himself. So you need quantity. You need quality in quantity. And I think this year, with the, with the talent that should go deep into the second round, it's just a good opportunity to kind of spread that wealth a little bit.
0: Yeah, and we've seen, I mean... I'm going back to Spencer Torkelson, not, you know, getting off to the hottest start, you know, in his career. Um, But then this year, I mean, you, like you said, there's, we've said it a million times. There's, there's Cruz, there's Skeens, there's Langford, there's, you know, you're hearing Max Clark's name, you know, mentioned as possibly maybe being the, the highest ceiling or top hitter, you know, in this class overall. I mean, it's not saying that's going to happen, but you know, certain scouts see them different ways. Um, do you see a scenario where it's not Skeens or it's not Cruz for the Pirates? Like is is there other, you know, possibilities out there? And and you know, would it be Langford next? Because people are kind of like, well, if Cruz doesn't want to come here, we want the hitter. So we would be okay with Langford.
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what each one of these players is willing to afford the pirates, right? If 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 Max Clark comes out and he says, I will take seven point three million dollars. I will save you $2.4 million with that first pick. And the Pirates truly do believe that Max Clark could end up being one of the top two or three players in this class. You know, you 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 bucket 2.3, $2.4 million for later in the draft, and all of a sudden you could walk away from this draft with four first round type talents. That is an enormous, an enormous coup. So I think, you know, we we've we've brought up over time what it would look like with Skeens. You know, Skeens is probably not falling farther than 2 or 3. So he might save you 600 grand max. And we've talked about, you know, the ego that is Max Clark, he might save you 2.4 million. He might go all the way down to the limit, 2.4. Langford is the real question mark, and because Florida has been playing baseball and he's a rather quiet guy, we haven't heard much from Langford and we haven't heard much from why Langford's camp. If the possibility exists, and i haven't heard this yet but i'm sure this narrative will kick up steam over the next 5 or 6 days if the possibility exists that you can take wyatt langford and pay him 8.5 million and save 1.2 1.3 million and spread that out with your second and third and fourth pick i think you're going to see a lot of momentum here over the last 2 weeks with a potential wyatt langford to pittsburgh type of a situation but it all depends Listen, the draft is, especially the the top of the draft. You've kind of alluded to this. It's not really a talent exercise. It's a money game. It always has been. And when there's four or five players at the top that all have, you know, at least close to the same amounts of talent and projection, they have to bounce off of each other. And so if you you know if Wyatt Langford comes in and he says I'll take eight point five mil, I think there's a real chance that he could go number one. But I we'll see we'll see what uh, what Pittsburgh thinks.
0: Yeah, because just from the stuff that I've read, and it's it's obviously not as simple as this. So, I mean, I don't want people to think that it's like, oh, this is what's separating them. But, I mean, a lot of people that I've listened to, a lot of people that I've read and talked to is, you know, the, the razor's edge between, you know, a Dylan Cruz and a Wyatt Langford is that, you know, Cruz is projectable and could stay at center field where Wyatt Langford is seen more as a corner outfielder. So, I mean, and they all have their positive attributes. I mean, we've all got to see them on full display this year. I mean, as soon as Wyatt Langford hit the home run uh, last night, everybody's just like, well, I'd be okay with Wyatt Langford. He's an extremely talented player. But like you said, it it basically comes down to, you know, a Monday game. It comes down to, you know, especially in years like this, where, you know, at least I'd say four of the top five guys, I mean, there's always, you know, that outside – know, perspective, but there's, you know, those top guys that they haven't separated themselves as much, or they've brought themselves a lot closer together instead of, you know, guys falling off throughout the year. So it makes it extremely tough for the pirates. But one thing that you mentioned earlier was saving that money for later on. And and the pirates have done, you know, especially Ben Charrington era have done very well with that. And one thing they've been really successful at getting is high school arms. Uh, and Anthony Solomito, Jared Jones. I mean, Jared Jones, at his age, is already in Triple A. Anthony Solomito, um, hopefully, he can keep up what he's doing in Altoona, but it has just been absolutely, you know, amazing. Is are there any you know like high school arms this year that you're seeing as possibly? I mean, the Pirates, unfortunately, this year, don't have the comp round A. But because of their record, um, you know, they're they're pretty close to the top of the second round. Um, is there anybody that you kind of have had your eye on as far as like college arm? I mean, high school arms uh, moving forward in this draft?
1: Yeah, there's a few. There, this is a pretty interesting year for high school arms. And if Pittsburgh does go the route of saving the amount of money that they could save with that first pick, they could pull any high school arm they want down to their second pick they could pull any high school arm they want down to their third pick they couldn't stop teams from i I mean they could effectively stop teams from drafting that player with the amount of money they could commit look at the texas rangers did last year They drafted what did they draft from third yes they had so much money saved up from that pick that brock porter fell all the way to the fourth round, and I had Brock Porter, a top twenty talent in the class. There was so much money committed to Brock Porter pre-draft that no no other team even stepped in and said, "Oh, we're going to try and draft him anyways, and see if he'll sign." When the money is that wide, you can control the draft, and that's a huge bonus in terms of high school arms in this class. The guy that immediately sticks out is Thomas White. He's a left-hander, six foot six, two hundred pounds, out of Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, or excuse me, out of uh, around Massachusetts, he's a northeastern kid. Uh, but he's a lefty that throws 96. He's got one of the better changeups in the class. Um, had comparisons to David uh, David Price. Just one of the more complete left-handed pitchers that has been available in any class in quite some time. There's some command issues with with the fastball, but there was with Solometto, too. So that's certainly a name that has been rumored to need big money to pull him away from Vanderbilt and I think that's a guy that you need to watch for. But honestly, there's there's a lot of other arms in the in that, you know, 30 to 60 range that are going to require big money. The one that sticks out for me is Blake Walters. He's a righty, he's 6 foot 5 out of Illinois. He's committed to play ball at Arizona. Fastball's been up to 99, upper 80s slider. I think there's a ton of teams, and I mean a ton of teams that are in on Blake Walters in that 20 to 35 range. But the pirates could effectively poach him off of the board if they were to save money with that first pick and say, "Hey, we're going to float you down to our second pick. We're going to float you down to our third pick. We're going to get you two point two million dollars." But just you know, don't entertain any of, any other offers. Couple others to keep in mind. I think Alex Clemmy is a kid that you have to keep an eye on. He's a six foot six inch lefty out of Middleton, Rhode Island. He throws ninety nine, uh, and that you know you can't find lefties with that much athleticism and that much arm speed in any given draft. It's very rare. And then the last one that I would throw out, Josh Noth. He's a six foot, two inch uh, righty out of Medford, New York, committed to Ole Miss. He throws a 3000 RPM breaking ball. He's had Lance McCullers uh, comparisons. A lot of good high school pitching can be had if you move the money the right way. And I'll say this last part. How much different does the Pirates, we'll call it a rebuild for the sake of the conversation, How much different does this rebuild look right now for Pittsburgh? Should they not have Jared Jones? Should they not have Anthony Solamedo? Should they not have all of these players that are beginning to crest at the right time? I think it's a much different picture if the prospects aren't coming up like they are right now for Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah. And if you've gone, I mean, if you went, I don't know, I don't know if it would be an overslaughter, an underslaughter, whatever it would be with the first couple picks, and not saving that money. Um, ben Charrington has has kind of gone, and he's shown that he will adjust money to you know pull what was it, Braylon Bishop away from Arkansas. Obviously, you know he's he's still developing, still young, and, and you know still far down in the system. But you know taking that chance on a player who has some projectability. And, you know, does, I mean, with every prospect have some risk, but by saying, you know, we're going to take him and, you know, five other guys that we kind of pay over slot, as opposed to, you know, we're just going to throw all of our money into this one guy. It's, it's, I think it's, you know, people that are watching the baseball draft and, you know, I've been watching it for years, but it's still the people are thinking, oh, okay, we're going to take this guy because, he's like the quarterback of this draft or whatever. And it's like, man, this is not the NFL. This is, this is not the same. I mean, even, even with, you know, a a Dylan Cruz, like you, even if you get him, like you said to develop and he becomes, you know, everything that everybody thinks he's going to be. I mean, how many years have we seen the Angels struggle with? And I know it's like a, it's a simple example, but with like Mike Trout, he was the Mm -hmm. best player in major league baseball for like, five, six years straight and wasn't even in the playoffs. So I mean, it's it's not as simple as just taking that um, and like you said up towards the top, it kind of turns itself into a money game. but I mean, I want to take a look back, you know, as we're sitting here and we're talking about Ben sherrington's, you know, previous drafts and 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 how well he's done and people, I mean right now we're we're looking at Nick Gonzalez, Uh, brought up to the majors, Henry Davis brought up to the majors. Um, And I'm not going to make you, I mean, maybe I will, maybe I'll make you put a grade on, you know, Ben Charrington's drafts over the years. But I mean, every single year after Ben Charrington drafts, it's like, well, he did this really well. He did this really well. He did this really well. And then, you know, prior to the next draft, everybody takes time and like rips on, you know, the state of the system right now. And, and most of that may be due to how the major league team is performing at this point in time. But I, I really, in my heart of hearts, cannot see Ben Sherrington doing a much better job um over his first, you know, three drafts as a GM.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And you're going to have, especially when you take the quantity approach, you're going to have the misses, you know, the Lonnie whites are going to happen. And he's still young. I mean, he's 20 years old. I know that he's kind of struggling a little bit. That's going to happen. But when you leave the last two drafts, maybe it's the last three, with Jared Jones, Anthony Solamedo, Bubba Chandler, Henry Davis, I mean, you are stalking the cupboard for when this thing really hits. And keep in mind, farm systems aren't built exclusively to feed the big league club. They're also built to trade resources for when the team is ready to really rock and roll. And I think that's what you're seeing with, you know, I know the Padres have struggled a little bit, but that's what you're seeing with the Padres. They unloaded the farm to make a real push for the world series. And, you know, that's what Seattle has done a little bit. So I think Charrington has done a very, very good job. You look back at some of those other drafts with, with what the Tigers walked away with uh, in 2020 after drafting Torkelson and not going under slot with that first pick. Torkelson struggled. And because of that, they didn't have a lot that's worked out after that. So I think if you take the quantity approach and and you are well thought out in terms of player development and guys that you can actually maximize, you're going to do well. In terms of how I think Ben Sherrington has done, I'd give him a solid B plus, A minus. You know, he's done the most with the resources that he's been provided. And I think you know Pittsburgh is beginning to win and they've got reinforcements on the way. So I don't know what more you could ask for.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, everybody just kind of wants everything to turn around, you know, quicker and sooner rather than later. I mean, especially when you see a team like Cincinnati taking off the way they are right now, we you have know we're in under the impression or given the impression by some that, you know, that maybe they were a little bit behind us. But I mean, I don't know how uh, a team could be behind when, you know, they have the, you know, the pitching prospects that they had and and how young they are and what they've been coming up with. And, and I'm kind of hoping that's the same for the pirates with, you know, I know Quinn Priester was under Huntington, but that was 2019. Jared Jones in 2020. I mean, Anthony Salamito. I mean, it's, it's just been, you know, and we're seeing, you know, Thomas Harrington from last year, Michael Kennedy is, is also, you know, so extremely young Owen Kellington. I mean, just the number of like pitching prospects, that they've come up with, and obviously not all of them are going to work out. But I mean, I'd rather have five or six guys with that type of talent as opposed to you know throwing it all in on on one guy. And like you said before, it's it may be not the best year for Paul Skeens because if Paul Skeens wasn't dealing with a you know a Langford, a Cruz, a a Max Clark, then he may be the guy that's looking to get you know that full slot because that's the last thing I want to ask you, Joe is, is just on talent base here, like how much, and I know they're completely different, you know, they're different players because one's, one's an outfielder, one, one's a pitcher. And then you could even throw Langford in there. Another outfielder, like how, how far apart is the talent level with these players? Cause it doesn't seem like it's, it's very far apart.
1: Well, Skeens Skeens is in a man that guy is in a galaxy of his own in terms of college pitching prospects people are quick to say oh he's the best pitching prospect since since steven strasburg or or, you know garrett cole uh first off on the strasburg one he pitched at san diego state you know nothing against san diego state but he was a kind of a chubbier prospect that was chucking 97 with a big breaking ball. Skeens is better than what Steven Strasburg was back then. And even if you subscribe to the fact that, you know, you, you call him the next Steven Strasburg, Steven Strasburg helped lead the nationals to, Uh, half decade of dominance in their division. And I don't know why you wouldn't sign up for that. Um, In terms of Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford, I do think it's very close. I I think Dylan Cruz could be an average, maybe a solid average center fielder, um, maybe just a tick better than Brian Reynolds, if I'm being totally honest with you. I I don't think he's an established um, center fielder, but he probably plays up the middle until he's about 26 or he's supplanted by someone that's a little bit more athletic with Wyatt Langford I think he's definitely a corner guy he doesn't have the arm for center field he's not quite as fleet uh fleet of foot as Dylan Cruz but more raw power than Dylan Cruz not the same hit tool that Dylan Cruz has but I will say this in in watching Wyatt Langford I think his swing is more catered to the pro game than Dylan Cruz swing might be and what I mean by that is Dylan Cruz has such a fantastic eye and approach at the plate that when he swings at anything in the zone, he makes contact. I mean, Dylan Cruz just makes contact with anything that's in the zone. But when he does expand the zone, he, he struggles to make contact. It's called it's a little bit of a grooved swing. I think Langford has a little bit more malleability as it pertains to like fighting off bad pitches that he does chase. So I think it, it's kind of a wash at the end of the day. Like Ultimately, I see Wyatt Langford being a guy that probably hits north of 30 home runs at the next level, probably doesn't have the batting average as as Dylan Cruz but I see Dylan Cruz as a guy that really hits you know a a 275 280 guy that you know might have a season or two with 30 home runs but probably is a guy that more settles in in that 24 to 27 home run bucket year in and year out so they're both perennial all-star type talents and frankly I think either one of them landing in Pittsburgh uh, you should be absolutely stoked
0: yeah So, I mean, in my eyes, I mean, this draft, uh, if you're going to be, if you're going to be 1-1, this is a good year to have this problem because, like you said, the separation is so small. I've, you know, this whole time I've gone back and forth and forth and back. And, I mean, I'm not going to make my prediction as to who I think they're going to pick yet. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but, I mean we've broken this down. I think the best we can, Joe, like I said, this is second or third year. We've talked first year on video. Um, definitely appreciate your time. You know, every single time it's, it's always a great conversation. Uh, for those of you that don't, uh, please go follow Joe at Joe Doyle M I L B listen to the over slot podcast, read all of his stuff over at fss underscore plus joe thanks for coming on dude and uh looking forward to doing this in future years brother
1: absolutely man always a pleasure i appreciate you having me back and uh let's say it let's go (laughs) buckos
0: go bucks all right guys we've let joe go and joe is going to be a busy man so he's got to get prepared for the next podcast he's on but what you have to listen, get prepared for is to listen to me talk about the beers I had on vacation. My wife and my sister lit it up for me. It's Father's Day. It's my birthday. And so we drank pretty much about every beer you could think under the sun. It started out with the Sweetwater Highlight, one of those low-cal easy IPAs coming in at 4%. On the weighted based on batting average scale, I'm giving that one a 450, bring that down to 400. The next one is one that we've had a bunch of times, but my wife knows how much I like it. It's the Brooklyn Summer Ale. That's a pale ale coming in at 5%. Give that a 425, knock it down to about a 375. We also went with another one of our favorites. It's the Victory Summer Love. It's a gold nail. You can drink that one while you're floating down the river, which we did. For about two and a half hours, because the river was so low, and it wasn't really moving, so had some victory summer love. That one's coming in about a four fifty, knocked that down to a four hundred, and then she went out there. And Harpoon is a uh, a brewery, I believe it's in in Massachusetts that I've liked a lot, and it's just been you know one that I've I've had different really good beers from but this is ones that I hadn't had any of these and the first one was the Harpoon Summer Style that's a Keller Kolsch and that one's about a five percent that's a 400 knock that down to a 350 another one of these low-cal easy drinking IPAs it's called Rec League coming in at 4%. And all these low-cal ones are usually on the hazy side. Give that a 450, knock that down to 400. This one, I, I've always told you guys, if it's a higher alcohol content, it usually is one I'm not going to have as many of. Uh, it's the juicer. It's the juicier hazy IPA. I gave that one a 375, knocked that down to about a 325. Like I said, it it tasted good, but I mean, just I'm thinking in my old age, I just, I'm starting to like the lighter beers. I can't drink as many of the the double IPAs. I've never been a stout guy. So, I mean, I, I don't know what it is. The other one is the Southie Lager coming in at 5%. That's about a 400 down to a 350, and that's one that comes in, like, one of their summer packs. Uh, I looked online as to see where they would be at. They have, like, two or three different varieties um, of the summer pack from Harpoon, but I I don't think you can really go, you know, too bad with any of those. Uh, And, I mean, just very enjoyable beers. Uh, so we'll have to see what I'm going to do do next week here. Might have to go back out to Creekside Beer over there, uh, get some beers from there, maybe go to a local brewery, try to get a four-pack or something. Uh, as we move, you know, into the second half of the minor league baseball season, we'll be talking about some of the promotions. i uh, trying to also, you know, had a cancellation to talk about, you know, the Greensboro, i uh, grasshoppers park as compared to the other parks might try to do something else with that. Uh, But until then, I want to thank Joe Doyle for coming back on the show on this show for the first time, but uh, on bucks in the basement uh, for at least the third or fourth time here, always providing great information, Uh, looking forward to the draft. Uh, But until next time, everybody, Let's go Indians, let's go Curve, let's go Hoppers, let's go Marauders, let's go FCL, and DSL Pirates, and we'll talk to you guys next time.